1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW report were prohibited by law. See terms and
0: conditions 18. The Dugout. Football Social Daily.
1: We've seen the back of Benitez and Ranieri removed in the last few weeks in the Premier League. But what's it like for the players when a manager is sacked? We'll find out some of the answers as well as wrapping our heads around these breaks in the season on today's show. How do the players fill their time during a mid-season pause? Are they putting in extra work on their game or are they kicking their feet up and chilling out? And of course, not long to go now until the transfer window closes, so we'll get a player's insight on just how making a move works. This is The Dugout, the podcast from Sports Social featuring former top flight professionals. And it's a pleasure to welcome back to today's show, former Brighton, Southampton and Leicester man, Dean Hammond, and ex-Burnley and Everton winger, Trevor Stephen. How are you doing, gents?
2: All good, thanks. Good to be here.
3: Very good, now. Very good. Thank you, mate.
1: Good to see you both. And there's been a lot that's happened uh, in the last week or so in the Premier League. No less the big news that Claudio Ranieri was sacked by Watford and was subsequently replaced pretty quickly, I must add, by Roy Hodgson. The week before that, your old club Everton, Trevor, got shot of Rafa Benitez. So it's led me to wonder, coming into this podcast today, what change in a manager is like from a player's perspective. Do you get a feeling within a squad, Dean, when a manager could be about to go when a manager's on the brink?
3: Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. I think you'll hear rumours. There'll be rumours around the dressing room, uh, around the club, uh, potentially. Um, Newspapers, obviously, with social media nowadays, nothing's ever kept a secret, really. Um, You could be speaking to your agent, and there could be rumours from that. And also, I think the mentality of uh, the manager can change sometimes. I know from personal experience with managers... Um, You can get to that point where training suddenly changes or the team selection suddenly changes a lot. The manager can seem a little bit more stressed, can be a little bit more um, angry after a result where normally that's not his personality and starts to change his approach maybe. I've had that with managers where suddenly... uh, I remember a time uh, at Sheffield United actually with uh, Nigel Adkins when Nigel was very much playing out from the back, playing good football, Um, keeping possession and building the play up and obviously the the fans didn't want that Um, we weren't getting results and he's just changed his approach completely changing the process of the week how you're going to train now I know that's trying to find solutions but you get a sense that a manager might be under pressure if that makes sense so there's definitely something in the air and you can sense it but it's more it's more the talk between the players the more the talk in social media that you know something's not going well and obviously the obvious thing is the results if you're not winning games then then, you know, the manager's going to be under pressure and he's the he's the full goer each time and not necessarily the players, which is which are unfortunate because it's a group effort, whether you're winning or losing.
1: Yeah, it is the nature of football, I suppose, Dean. You're absolutely right there. And Dean mentioned about kind of getting a feeling when things aren't quite working out. Would you agree with that, Trevor? Do you get a sense when things just aren't working with a manager? I, I would have to
2: go back to my, to my early days at Burnley to have that experience. Uh, because I've had I've had manager changes, um, and but the one that when I started Burnley, the manager at Burnley was a, an ex-clara, an ex-player, uh, and we're going back a long, long way. We're going back to the early eighties here, um, and uh, he he had he had done well. He's called Brian Miller. Brian Miller had been a centre back. He played for England as well. Brian well back in the sixties, and uh, he was the guy that signed me and. I'd got into the first team and we did well the fir- uh, that first year under his um, direction. And then we were doing well, poorly in the championship or the, the second division as it was then. And really poorly. Uh, we couldn't, uh, we'd come up from the previous division, uh, Division 3. Uh, and, and we were struggling, we kept the same bunch of players. And then all of a sudden we were told we didn't know anything because I don't think communication was so uh, you know available to to anyone uh, and the players uh, p- a- as part of that, uh, we were due to go down to Tottenham Hotspur to play in the quarter final of the the old Milk Cup, which is the League Cup, or the Carabao Cup as it is now. And on the way down in the bus, we noticed the manager wasn't there, and then we were told that the the coach was going to be taking us, uh, Frank Casper, and. Uh, so we got to the game literally on our, knowing on our travels. Now here's the, the bizarre thing is, we went on to win that game four one, right, <laughs> right at Tottenham against Hoddle and Archibald and all of these people, right. Complete freak, but it was keep, I, I don't know why. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. The end. The rest of the season, we had two or three good results, and then we faded again. We, we went back to type. So that was an unusual one. But the other ones I've had is like uh, Graham Sinness leaving Glasgow Rangers to go to Liverpool where we were fighting for the league title with only half a dozen games to go. And then he handed it over to Walter Smith, who'd never, who'd never led the team. Uh, and, and then he had to come in and we had to kind of help the manager to make that, that period to the end of the season work for him. So it can happen in a variety of ways. I do have a couple of other things, but I don't want to go on too much. Um, it can be uh, that way, it was, it was a positive way. Um, the other one wasn't I think Dean has probably had more um experiences of that he's, he's had, probably had more clubs than I. I haven't seen more comings and goings but you know a manager players don't like change but then change can benefit and I, I think if you look at what's happened you know at, at everton and Watford change they hope in in both cases is going going bring around uh, a change of fortune um but you know choices of boards of directors, um, they're unpredictable at times, but I have to say the ones that have just happened were very predictable.
1: I agree with what you're saying, that a manager leaving is very different to a manager being sacked and it probably feels the same within a playing group. I mean, you use Rangers as your example, but you know you can even use Rangers as a, a super modern example with Steven Gerrard going to Aston Villa. Van Bronckhorst has gone in there and they're still aiming for the same thing and the players and the manager are on an even keel in terms of what they want. And I suppose... Um, from a player's perspective, Dean, do the players ever feel when a manager's sacked that they've let the gaffer down? Do you ever feel like, oh no, the gaffer's lost his job and it's our fault and we've got to pull our socks up? Or sometimes is it a bit of a 50-50 split where some players are like, well, he wasn't working, it's probably a good job, he's gone?
3: I think it's that, it's a 50-50 split. (laughs) You'll get players that have (laughs) not been in the team out of favour that are very, very happy, that are going to get a new opportunity and a new manager. And you'll get managers that have been playing every week that respect the manager um, and were quite comfortable with him being at the cl- football club and enjoyed playing under him, um, whatever the result was. So it's definitely a 50-50 split. It, it always is because you can only really keep 11 players happy because they're the players that are playing. But And it comes down to your personality as well. I always felt, playing or not playing, if a manager left, you, I always felt the guilt because you're part of that. You know, The manager's the only one that get takes that responsibility, really. As a player, you're always getting second chances. As long as you've got a contract at a football club, you're always getting that new start, that fresh start if a new manager comes in. Um, and I think one of the worst things that you have is when the manager gets the opportunity to come in and say goodbye to the players. And it's almost, it's very heartfelt um, but the player the managers almost kind of like just saying i' like kind of cheers thanks very much guys now like, you've got me the sack <laughs> sort of thing but in a, in, a, in a polite and professional way and that's always a difficult meeting yeah. i remember that's happened a, oh. a couple of times with the manager and kind of just says goodbye and walk out and it's like mm, okay i feel a bit i feel a bit I feel a bit sad now sort of thing i feel a bit guilty now so it's tough it's really really tough um because no manager ever wants to get a sack and no man and every managers trying to do their best but Sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't work out. And sometimes, you know, the players have to take responsibility for that as well.
2: I think it would help, uh, Dean, though, the players who are in that squad, um, who, as you say, may not have been playing or their confidence is really low, uh, and they don't see themselves getting back into the team or getting an opportunity under that manager. So there's a big lift. And I think this is where we start to see the, 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 the change that a new manager can make, because there, there is a reaction um, from the group of players, and it can be in different ways, but there is quite a lot of players in a club who don't play. If you think there's like there's eleven, yet yeah, there's twenty five of you you're pretty well up for selection. That's a big bunch of players yep. who are not playing. All right. So, how long does that last, though? Because you know, for for Watford, for an
1: example, great great point you make. And then Hodgson's gone in there, but if they lose the next game, I mean, do, does that? Bring the level back down again because that first game under Hodgson, all of the players are going to be determined to show him that they're up for the fight, that they should be in the first team. But if they lose a couple in a row, how long does that new manager bounce last, I guess, is the question.
3: I think the frustration from any manager, manager leaving or new manager coming in is when they see that. Because you can can see the capabilities of the players. You can see the ability of the players to be able to put that performance into to win a game. The job of the new manager is to is to make that consistent and find out why that only happens in in certain situations and i think that's why the top managers are top managers because they can do that and they can see that and they can understand players i think that's really important understanding players in the modern day it's not all about tactics and uh and actually being on the pitch it's understanding the human being um but it, it's strange you know it's almost out of fear from a player. If a new manager comes in, you, you know you've got to react. You're fighting for your, your career, really. You're fighting for your job if a new manager comes in. So it does give you a lift, but like I say, then it's up to the new manager to continue that and understand why. and. I suppose, take your time to figure out and understand the players within your squad, who are the good eggs, who are the bad eggs, who's coming on the journey and who's actually not that interested. I mean,
1: Watford's a weird case study to use because there's no other club like it really, bar probably Chelsea, um, that changes their managers so regularly. You know, the, the owners at Watford, the Pozzo family, have barely been in charge of the club for 10 years and Roy Hodgson is the 15th different manager that they've used, Trevor. So I imagine that Either of you probably haven't had experiences like that, where there's been such a turnaround and rotation of managers. What do you think that must be like for the Watford players, particularly someone like, I don't know, Ben Foster or Troy Deeney before him, who would have seen the majority of them come and go. What do you think that would be like to deal with?
2: No, uh, it's uh, there are similarities, as you said at, at the outset, there between how Watford get on with their their business and Chelsea, but the similarities really end uh, in the numbers of managers. Because Watford are not investing in, in the team uh, like Chelsea do. Chelsea go and shop at, at, at Harrods, you know, and, and Watford are not. Um, and so yeah, it's almost not con- comparing the same things. To, to go, the, the philosophy at, at Watford is baffling to me because it seems to me that it's a club that should nurture, nurture players. Um, uh, come through the academy get two or three into that team three or four into that team and build in that more um, long term view because that's the size of club that they are and the size of their fan base will only you know, dictate that whereas the Chelsea's of this world are, are, are global um, you know, uh, institutions almost so I think the whole, the whole game plan has been um, questionable uh, at Watford uh, but I think over the years I think players are great. I'm thankful to have jobs as well. Remember they, they, they want to be playing in the Premier League and he a, a chance at Watford. so they, they'll go there to get the opportunity to maybe move on to another club. But an instant stable an unstable football club can, cannot be um, a place to thrive in. You've got to sort of get in there and, and get out do well, get out if you can. And it's almost like a stop off um, uh, it's like a station if you want on your, on your journey uh so um it's by chance it's pot luck what's going to happen at Watford it's, it's it's by chance that Roy Hodgson's going to make the difference uh so there's no long term strategy and it, it it's really a strategy that is you know preparing to to fail uh you know from time and from time to time they'll get periods when it goes well but they're going to get more than more periods that don't go so well so i think the whole structure of the of, of Watford is, is, is not a good one. It's not one to be copied.
1: Just a final point on this discussion about managers, Dean. You mentioned how some players when a gaffer gets sacked will probably be slightly happier than others because it means that if they weren't in the team they now have a chance to get back into that first team. We've seen Rafa Benitez sacked by Everton recently and only a matter of days before Rafa got the sack, Luca Dean, who was by all accounts a star player at Goodison Park, moved to Aston Villa and there was a bit of a falling out or alleged falling out between Dean and Benitez and and Luca Dean was on his way then to join Stephen Gerrard at Villa what do you think he might be feeling now that Rafa Benitez has gone and with the statement that he released on his social media which we can only take his word for it whether that be the the situation in terms of truth or not Um, but he basically suggested that he was sad for it to end at Everton in the way that it did and he was quite keen to stay but he's happy for a new challenge with Aston Villa um, how do you think he might be feeling now? Because if he was settled at Everton and then has a falling out with a manager, moves, and two days later, the manager's sacked, I just wonder what you might be thinking.
3: Um, if I'm honest now, I think he wanted to move um, because, he, there's, like I say, in the modern game, there's no secrets in football. He would have known Rafael Benitez was under pressure and that was maybe two or three games away from there being a conversation uh, with the board. And if he really, really wanted to stay at Everton, Trevor will know more than me, but if he really wanted to stay at Everton, I really believe that the fact that he could have just waited it out a bit. Now, I know in football, sometimes footballers are very impatient and want to play and it's a pride thing and I want to play football. And I get that and there's real value to that. And I think there's some credit as a footballer. And he's gone to a brilliant club in Aston Villa to play for a great manager under Steven Gerrard. But I just think that statement is almost to, to please the fans, really. Kind of just say, look, I didn't want to leave Everton, but I have, but I'm really happy to beat Aston Villa to try and, you know, he's sitting in the middle there. There's a balance. So he's really, he's pleasing the Aston Villa fans because he's there. He's, he's a brilliant club and he's pleasing the Everton fans that when he goes back, he gets a good reception. It wasn't my fault. I tried my best for Everton. It was a manager's fault. We fell out. I didn't want to leave, but okay, look, this is football. I've moved on. So I think he wanted to move, if I'm totally honest, if I, if I read the situation properly. But again, that's just my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree uh, entirely. I think you summed it up uh, well there, Dean. Uh, it's a particular uh, case, Luca You can remember he is a French international. He is rubbing shoulders with a uh, squad of players that are internationally known names. And, you know, the, people talk, particularly on international duty, um obviously it wasn't specific about him going to another club, but he would have got itchy feet because he could he would have looked around the, the Everton dressing room, the, the morale in that dressing room, um and the combination of that and Rafa not not winning the battle at all, um that relationship decays. And once the relationship decays, it's very difficult to to, to correct that. And I think the momentum of Stephen Gerrard going to Villa, I don't think Luca Dino would have been in so much of a rush if Villa hadn't still had Dean Smith. Um, and I think it was uh, the draw of Stephen Gerrard and the reasons why Stephen went would be the reasons why Luca Dino went. The, the club seemed to know where they're going, they've got investment, big, big club, um, and and things could happen there. And Everton, it looks like they're going to have to go through a period of restructure, you know, uh, hanging on a little bit, uh, certainly at this moment in time, before the next stage and the next step is, is, is there. So it was a bit of an unusual one uh, with, with Luca Dean. But it just shows you, with his performances from Villa, where, where was that when he was at Everton in the last six weeks to two months? He looked incapable, he wasn't, he wasn't concentrating, he wasn't thinking, he wasn't applying himself as he would normally do gone to Villa and immediately you see the difference and the real Luca Dino when he's a committed player
1: yeah absolutely we haven't heard anything about a new Everton boss just yet in terms of the replacement for Rafa Benitez at the moment it's still Duncan Ferguson in temporary charge and Everton do have a bit of time now with a break in the Premier League season to perhaps make a decision and it is that break and breaks in the season in general that we'll be talking about next we'll do it after this here on The Dugout The Dugout <laughs> Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at choppacasino.com
1: Welcome back to the podcast. This is the dugout from Sports Social. I'm Niall McCorn, Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen. Two former Premier League players are alongside me and at the moment we're in the middle of this mini winter break in the Premier League season. Now, it's quite a new thing, this. We don't normally have a an international break or a season break in January, but it's certainly something that Premier League managers have lobbied for in recent seasons. And here it is. It's upon us. The African Cup of Nations are taking place. We've got some South American um, nations as well having international matches We've seen some clubs let their players go on a family holiday or have some time away. For instance, I saw Kevin De Bruyne has spent some time away with his family these last couple of days. We've also seen others engage in some warm weather training. Newcastle United, for example. Um, I've seen Bruno Fernandes at Manchester United do some warm weather training over the last two days. So I guess the question, Dean, is which of those two did you prefer? And why?
0: <laughs> honestly, yeah.
3: to, to, to be honest, it, it, it is nice. It is quite nice to have that break um, f- from the game, from training, from the intensity, to be able to switch off with the family. I, to be fair, honestly, d- during the, the the season, it wouldn't be with the family. It would probably be a, a breakaway with my wife to get that opportunity. Um, so a few days to, to really re- relax and, and recuperate. But even if that did happen warm weather training, I'd still be in the gym. I'd still be working. It wasn't a holiday where you'd really switch off and Not really Not like at relax. the end
1: of a season or something. No,
3: it yeah. wouldn't be that. It's more the climate. It's more to going away for the sun to help the body to kind of recover a bit and get that um, break physically and mentally as well, just to, just to switch off for, for five minutes away from football, away from family life if you do have children, just to take that few days. So I think it can really, really benefit the players. But also... If you, you mentioned there, if, you, if you're if you a Newcastle or a team that are in a, a difficult situation or i have got a new manager or new players coming into the club, getting them away as a group can can really help as well. Um, where you can get away and all you're doing is associating with each other. You're getting to know new people, understand each other. You can get some training and you can get one or two sessions in. You can see if the players are eating right, recovering right. They can get extra sleep in again because they're not with a family. They might have young children or up with their kids. So a real break away um, from normal life, normality, can can really help at this stage of the season, especially um, in recent times with the amount of games that the the players are playing and uh, fixture congestion and things like that. So I think this could be a really important period for a lot of clubs.
1: I think you're right there's no chance that Roy Hodgson two days into the Watford job is going to let those Watford players go away on a holiday for a a few days especially seeing as he's new in the job he's going to want to get to know those players but but why not
2: but why not you know (laughs) just he could he could do that because this stage is about management as well isn't it yeah he'll certainly be uh,
1: high up in their estimations if he lets them go away well exactly I mean how
2: how good how good a feel (laughs) is that for the players right come on lads come on we'll have a five you say I want you away for a few days and come back, God, they'll be flying when he comes back. But now, what they've got, what they've got to do is is get down to work, get down to work, get down to work, um, and all of these things are relevant. To, you know, like what for the manager comes in, so that that's a difficulty in in, in itself, it adds something else. But it really does depend on what what club you're at and where you are in the league. And Dean mentioned Newcastle United. I think absolutely rightly they need to stick together and be together. Whereas a Man City or a Chelsea, um, those clubs, they don't because they're they're already they've got, they've got the sort do of. Do you think it's just because
1: engine. of where they are in the league, though? I mean, Man City at top of the league, they've got hmm. a decent points cushion. Newcastle United have serious work to do Absolutely. to stay in the Premier League, so I guess that that plays a huge factor as well in where the club is in in terms of its league position.
2: Of course, it does because um, the, the the clubs are not really sure about where they're going, you know, up, down or staying where they are. They've got some questions to answer. Uh, and if the players are away, they can't, the, the management feel as if they, they need to get these messages over and have a nice time and, and, and try and take the pressures off the players as much as possible. But they still want to get ahead a little bit and, and maybe have the team works or, or, or whatever. Um, so take no risks, basically. Whereas the confidence of a manager to let his players go in family or with the wives or girlfriends, um th- that's a slightly different uh benefit. That's a it's a personal benefit to a player who's already doing well. Uh and, and and that's that works. That works. I think I think there's no benefit in taking a Man City team away to the desert for sunshine. I don't think that works that really is appropriate for them, but it's definitely appropriate for a Newcastle United. Now if you work that out where, where I'm going with that is It's it's horses for courses, really, in this time of the year. Depends on where you are in that league and how how the team is performing.
1: Like you say, Dean, it's different to pre-season, isn't it? Because a lot of the time pre-season is about getting a group together and we always hear about this you know the lads are great in the dressing room we've got a top dressing room the spirits there I mean I won't say um, any names but you know when I've worked for football clubs in the past we've been on pre-season tours and there's been very little getting out on the grass kicking balls around there's been a bit more at the bar um, putting a few away so in terms of this warm weather training I'm not saying the players will be irresponsible at this stage of the season of course I'm not saying that but is it quite what we think it is from the outside looking in or will there be a little bit of that team bonding taking place as well, do you think?
3: A hundred percent. I expect there to be some a team bonding. That would be one of the benefits of, of going away. Um, but I think it's the mix. It's not a pre-season where you're you're there and it's it's really strict. It's really diligent. You're training two or three times a day. I don't think it's that intense. But also, I don't think it's an end-of-season trip where it's, you know, you're out every night and it's a bonding and it's a celebration and you're on the drink. Yeah. so It's, it's, it's not, not Vegas. Re- no, no, no. <laughs> it's not Vegas. It's a real, I think it's a real balance <laughs> in between. Um, I can remember a time going away with um, Southampton. Similar occasion where we, we brought about four or five players in in January um, and we went away. I think Joseph Fonte came in, Jason Punchant, Lee Barnard, a couple of other players come in. Um, and Alan Pardew was the manager at the time and he took us away. I think we went to La Manga, I think. Um, and we worked, we worked, you know, once a once a day as a normal normally you would during the season. Um, but then in the evenings there be occasionally there would be a quiz. You know, everyone's got to be down, staff got to be involved. And then at the last evening, when you've got a day off, when you get home, everyone out for a drink. But it was always that, you know, if it one's out, everyone's out to to get that bonding. But there was also um, there was a limit on it as well. And you had that respect for the manager, and you had respect to each other as, as players to not take advantage of that really so that's where that i I see that kind of warm weather training is that it's it's a real mix of getting some training but like trevor said you're not going to take real risk you don't want injuries because that's you know it completely kills the reason of going away it's more tactical work on things but getting to know each other as people is is really important
1: yeah I, i agree with that and you know it probably would have been slightly different for you trevor when you were away on international duty during the international breaks but I guess for you, Dean, with the breaks in the season, and I, I don't know if you were knocked out of the FA Cup, for example, and it was FA Cup weekend, you can get you know a weekend off or or whatnot. You, you say about going away. What would players do to to pass the time in in your day, Trevor, when there was a break in the season? Was it? I know it was slightly different eras you two both played in, but yeah. you know, in terms of the professionalism, it's probably. I don't want to um, disregard the era you played in, but it's probably more professional now than it was then, if that's fair to say.
2: Yeah, it was a different kind of uh, professional um, approach. Uh, you know, there weren't these 10-day breaks for international games. Uh, an international game to someone like me was uh, uh, Saturday evening after a, a home game. You'd either be meeting up on a Saturday night in a hotel uh, with the rest of the squad of um, England players, or, or at worst the Sunday morning, probably more likely the Sunday morning, and then uh, you're going to be playing on the Tuesday or Wednesday night, and then you're back to your clubs. So there wasn't that much breathing space uh, in those days, and I don't think that was particularly healthy. I don't think we played on great surfaces, uh, so we had to suffer suffer that as well. But that was how it was. I think the modern uh, the modern approach to it uh, is, is better. You know, those players who are involved internationally, I think they've got a real grind on. Because they are traveling literally all year, all year long. I mean, that's tough work, you know, when, you, you know, all right, they deserve to be at that international level. Uh, they've got that opportunity and there's there's, an, there's a great reward in that and getting an international cap. Um, but the, the traveling and being away is very uh, onerous and um, which obviously sort of backs up the point of, you know, Dean was talking about maybe he'd go away with his wife or, or whatever and this break uh, makes that worthwhile. I only really had one break, and that's when I went to play in Marseille, and uh, the French season in Le Championnat in France finished on around the 18th, 19th of December. Uh, And then everybody went their own way and had to report back on about the 3rd of January and pick up the games around the 10th or or 12th. And where we went, we went up a mountain. We went uh, skiing, basically. You, know, which was, oh, uh, you couldn't
1: so, get away with that now. I you know. No. <laughs> you're not <laughs> allowed to go skiing now when you're a footballer, are you? Yeah, I the it wasn't just
2: skiing. It was like, um, you know, trudging through snow and working up hills in snow. Something completely, completely foreign to me, uh, rightly so. And, uh, um, you have know, different clubs, different countries see it in different light. And I, I think the game has evolved in, in, in a better way that the, the breaks are there because it's to the player's benefit. And particularly the, the lads who are um, not travelling on international duty, uh, you know that must be quite refreshing to get that break. Uh, and and training is difficult, though. You know, if you're in squads that have several players who are on international duty, training can look very, very much different. Your key players are away, uh, so I, I could imagine that that period of time is it can be can get a bit long for for you know your your normal uh, pro player.
1: You mentioned Dean about maybe one of the evenings you meet up for a drink and another there'd be a quiz what in general do you think players will be doing to to pass the time i guess because it's different to turning up to training in the morning and going home to your family in the afternoon and you know maybe going down the snooker club or something with a mate and having a few frames or whatever you can't really do that on a warm weather training camp when you're all together overseas so what are people doing to to pass the time
3: do you know what used to be? No, and I expect it's still the same. Table tennis used to be massive. But you just <laughs> Competitions, table tennis. I mean, the technology now is obviously PS4s and things like that. There'd be FIFA tournaments going on, the players playing that. Um, sleep. I know that sounds silly, but a lot of sleep. Like I mentioned, if you've got young children, I remember going away and a couple of days, you're just thinking, it's one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just going to go and get three or four hours sleep un- uninterrupted. So, um, simple things. There's nothing huge going on. But table tennis, because players, you know, the professional athletes, they're they're competitive. Snooker sometimes, games, silly games, and it was having a laugh as well. Sometimes just being able to switch off and and go for a walk. You know, we used to walk down and go down to the beach and just chat as players and um and and have a laugh really. Because when you're You're away and you're kind of walking down beach. That probably you're not getting uh, recognised as much. It's different. You feel different. You feel a little bit more relaxed, if I'm honest, especially for the top players. The top players when they're you think of the Newcastle players now, the pressure they're under. Such a huge football club. If they're living in Newcastle and you know uh, around the shops and around the training ground and around the stadium, that pressure, that constant pressure from the fans, that expectation. To be away and just to be able to be themselves, I think is 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 huge. Really, is. You know the the
2: benefit the benefit and we mustn't uh, forget is not just physical. And, and uh, Dean's talking about sleep. It's it's not about uh, physicality. It is, but it isn't. Uh, it's about the mental um, stresses that professional uh, football and professional sport can bring to to an individual, uh, and and getting a break allows that just to. Um, someone to de-stress themselves and get away from the pressure it could be getting too much for them uh could be a hindrance to them might be knocking their confidence might be down and not feeling great about themselves so something something like a break is not only physical it, it's the other side of the coin which is the mental side which is vital if you want to get you, you need that you need to get uh refreshed and uh, these breaks uh, are that opportunity to do so
1: Yeah, I agree with that, with that mental refreshment. I think that's something that we often overlook. So I definitely agree that it's important. I'm glad, Dean, that you mentioned table tennis because Jarvo, Matt Jarvis, who sometimes comes on this podcast, told a really good story a few months ago about winning the West Ham table tennis tournament and all of the lads couldn't believe how good he was and it took until after he'd won the tournament to reveal that both of his parents were UK ping-pong champions. <laughs> so I thought that was quite good. He kept that one quiet until the last possible yeah. moment. He's wiping the floor with everyone. Good old John. I hope
3: he's got a wager on it and won some money <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: not sure. I'll have to find out. Um, that's it for this section of the dugout. Afterwards, we'll be talking about the transfer window because there are only a few days to go. Let's find out a player's perspective on that after this.
0: Balls Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group.
0: Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. This is the Dugout from Sports Social. Welcome back to the show. Former Everton and Burnley winger Trevor Stephen and former Brighton, Leicester and Southampton midfielder Dean Hammond are alongside me, Niall McCorn, on today's episode of the show. And there are only a few days to go now until the transfer window closes for another January. By this stage, Trevor, do you think players will have an idea already if there might be a move on the cards, or is it really as dramatic as we see on Sky sometimes? No, nothing's
2: going to happen by by surprise to a player. You know, really at this stage, most unlikely in the modern game. Uh, even if it doesn't happen, the player's aware of the whispers, the, the networks out there, the agents out there. He's in contact. Depending on on the player's situation uh, at the club, is he actively looking for for a move? Uh, which, of course, he will then be very much tuned into. Uh, the transfer window uh, on the other side of that if he's quite comfortable at his club he's not that interested um uh, and but then you've obviously got another situation which is like the Newcastle United situation where there's there's money coming to uh, a football club and they want to attract players uh, so but it's it's very rarely going to happen um uh, you know, just like that, the Newcastle one did happen relatively quickly, didn't it? Like with Kieran Trippier, for instance, that you know because of that, the sale of the club went went through very quickly. But no, there's no real surprises.
1: Um, I mean, who does a player tell first, Trevor? Do they tell their agent? Do they tell the gaffer? I mean, does it does it really make a difference? I mean, who do you make aware when you're thinking, right? I've had enough here. I'm fed up of playing for whatever club I want to move who, who gets the first phone call the first text
2: well as, as it was back back in the day um, you know my first move I was told that I was going and I was only only 18, 19 and wasn't really in a position to argue and I was all for it it was going from Burnley to Everton um, that was John John Bond the ex-Manchester City Norwich manager who uh, was trying to bring in funds for the club but it was the right thing for me to do an easy move to make um, when, when I left Everton uh when I left Everton, that was that was different. I let my contract run down, so I was free. So they knew my intentions that I was going to going to leave. The only one that really was uh, uh, sort of out the blue for me, but I had a, a hint that it was was happening, but only happened on the day before the, the the transfer window finished. In fact, hours before the transfer window finished, and I didn't know about the transfer during that day, right? So all of this has happened within a space of hours, where I was, I was at home putting the kettle on, having come home from training. <laughs> my my uh, wife and one child that I had at the time were out, were out at the shop, and this was pre-mobile phone days. I got a phone call at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm the only one in the house, I'm told to go to the chairman's office, which I was in Edinburgh at the time, I was playing for Glasgow Rangers, uh, and my agent was on the phone saying, the deal's on. I said, what well, you know, what deal? So the Marseille deal, it's on, it's on. I said, you are kidding me. And I said, right, it's on, it's on. Get yourself, get yourself to the uh, airport and get a couple of passport photographs, right? And um, bring them to the office. No kidding, right? So I was I was playing the curtains in the Edinburgh airport at five o'clock. I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't told my wife anything about this. I went uh, and eventually cut a long story short. I signed for for Marseille about 11.30, quarter to 12 that night, because we had to get the, the fax documents uh, over to to be registered, so I went to Marseille the following day. I left for Marseille the following day, which was the same day that my wife found out that I was going, because I hadn't told her. <laughs> right, so so that's the extreme of it, but the, the, it's very unlikely that something like that is going to happen, uh, not in the way the communications uh, you know happen these days. But it, it, it's a very intense uh, time of year because I, I was an agent for twelve years, right, so I know it's like. You know, for if you're an agent, you've been building up to these limited transfer windows, and you've got a client and he wants to leave, or you've got a buyer or something like that. It, it, it's the market, mm. you know, and you know the football agents have to make money. They're in it to make money. Some are very comfortable with the players that they that they have, but you know, others are not, and, and they can be overactive, let's say. Uh, in in, uh, in this window so when did you touch down in Marseille then because Marseille were a big club at the time
1: weren't they Trevor they had Chris Waddle they were you know top top billing in France really and they were mm-hmm. going for European titles as well so yeah, this was
2: August this was August transfer August transfer window which stopped around the 13th and 14th of August uh, the year would have been 1991 um, they just played in the Champions League final or the European Cup final against Red Star Belgrade, so they had they were the top team in Europe. Obviously, mean, to speak to the, they should have won the the, the cup. Uh, so I go in there uh, to to fill a role in midfield with Didier Deschamps, and you know what a squad of players. Chris Waddle, I, I, he's at absolute best. Um, yeah, so that next day it was, it was a private jet down to down to, uh, to Marseille. Picked up my agent in Bournemouth on the way down. You know, I'd never been in—I'd never been in a private jet, right? I'm I'm 27. Um, you know, nowadays they go in private jets like it was going out of fashion. But uh, then it was such a uh, unbelievable opportunity, which, to be honest, served the club that I was leaving because they were getting, you know, a really great return on what they invested in me. It was a great opportunity for me to step up in, in football in terms and, and culturally and learning new stuff. Uh, I was the right age to do it. Um, and Marseille thought they were getting a player that would, would help them. So, um, yeah, it can happen out of the blue, you know, without, with, without a doubt, but not in the modern game like that. There's too much, too much money involved um, for, for it to be a snap decision last second. Uh, so um, it, it has changed in the last few years.
1: We're going to go from the south coast of France to the south coast of England now when uh, you were leaving Brighton, Dean the first time, your first spell that was an interesting exit which you kind of touched upon on the show before in the past but I think I'm right in believing that you were transfer listed at that time and you kind of made clear that you wanted to leave the club what were those conversations like for you at the time and what does that involve being transfer listed is it an an actual physical list that managers can log on to and have a look at
3: well, to start with, well, there's no private jets involved in this one. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know what
1: with uh, the minibus,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm lucky, yeah. hitch like the way up. Um, no, um, the transfer list, I'm not too sure. I think it's more of a, a statement thing that is used in the modern game for, uh, for a player to, to protect the football club, for a player to come out and say it's a demonstration of a player saying they wanted to leave. Now, my situation with Brighton was I never asked to go on the transfer list. Um, I was put on the transfer list um, because I was negotiating a contract with Brighton that I wasn't happy with. Um, and I knew there was interest from me from higher clubs. Um, I didn't necessarily want to leave in, in January. I was very happy. I was, I think I was 22 at the time. I was captain of the football club. So I was happy at Brighton. I wanted to see my, a bit like Trevor did at Everton. I wanted to see my contract out to the summer to allow myself some options. Now Brighton at the time um, couldn't afford to do that. You know, it was a club that was fighting administration every year. So they'd already sp- they'd already spent the money on me before they'd sold me. They bought Glenn Murray in from uh, Rochdale, I think, at the time. So they were very happy for me to leave, it, if, if I'm honest. But they'd spent the money on, on Glenn and they needed to to get the money back. And it was difficult at the time because I wasn't, you know, I was negotiating a contract. They they'd turned down a couple of offers from a bigger club that I actually wanted to go to but couldn't agree a fee with them. Um, And it happened a bit later where um, I actually moved to Colchester in the championship at the time and uh, quite excited to go there. It was when Teddy Shering was at Colchester. They were just building a new stadium. Um, And it was a good opportunity for me, but it was was difficult leaving Brighton. It really, really was because, like I say, I was captain. I was playing every week. Um, Some really good players there. I was working under a manager that I really respected and he was getting the best out of me. Um, And I didn't really want to go at the time, I must admit. But Brighton made it very difficult for me to stay. Um, There was conversations between my agent and the chairman that I wouldn't play for the football club again. So it was whether I had to risk, you know, four or five months of not playing, where would that leave me in the summer? Would that leave me in a difficult situation? Would those options be there? Um, I was gonna get paid more money, so I was gonna be financially rewarded. So there was incentives to leave. Um, So difficult conversations, Niall, I must admit. I remember having difficult conversations with the manager, Difficult conversations with the chairman, my agent, and the manager. That was an awkward um, afternoon lunch. I must admit, there was um, some- <laughs> who paid. <laughs> <laughs> I think I paid for it in my contract. To be honest, but, um, yeah, it was it, it was it was tough because you know I respected Brighton and owed them a lot, but obviously I wanted to further my career as well. So yeah, um, it wasn't ideal, but it worked out in the end. And yeah, it was, but mm. it was. I learned a lot. I must admit, I learned a lot in that experience.
1: Like you say, awkward conversations, not nice ones to have. And having come through at Brighton, you probably felt a bit upset with how it ended. But when you did eventually go to Colu, were you like super determined then to show Brighton what they have missed out on? Was there an element of, you should have given me a new contract, so I'm going to come to Colchester and play out of my skin?
3: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For, for me, the, the, the difficulty I had, I signed for Colchester when I was actually, I think I said before, injured and suspended at the time. So it took me a little <laughs> while to, to, to make my debut. Um, unfortunately, we ended up actually getting relegated as well from the championship. So I ended back back in League One, um, which was the same league as Brighton. But as a player, I actually performed quite well individually um, and had a couple of options in that summer to, to move again um, from Colchester. But it didn't seem right. I hadn't been there we talked about at the beginning of the show that I, I, I felt the guilt that I owed culture to something They they paid a decent amount of money for me and we've ended up getting relegated. So, um, but there was definitely that determination to, to prove Brighton wrong. Um, maybe not Brighton, prove the chairman wrong. I think the chairman, I felt as though he didn't really rate me as a player and he showed that in his, his contract offer really, which is fair enough. You know, football's an opinions game, but there was definitely some determination in me to to keep in, in improving my career and get to, to the top, which I eventually did, and but it was all part of the journey and all part of the experience and I wouldn't change it now, but it was yeah, it was interesting, put it that way.
1: I'm glad you touched upon feeling that pressure or that guilt of the fact that a club has paid a fee for you. Because with the figures we see now, Trevor, they're just astronomical, aren't they? I mean, even sort of 10, 15 years ago when I was a young lad watching football, you couldn't imagine someone would go for 50 million quid, let alone 100 and 200. We're almost seeing these sorts of prices now, you know, in particular, the Neymar transfer I'm thinking of. You know, how how do you think these players will be feeling? For instance, when you've got that tag attached to you and you're someone like Jack Grealish, do you think that will go through his mind? I'm worth this. Does it feed sometimes a player's ego? What, what's that like, do you think, for a player now, to have that price tag attached to your name every time you do something good or bad? It's always mentioned in commentary, in the newspapers, in the pubs. This player costs this and they've not done this, or this player was a bargain. It, it seems like people are obsessed with these, fa- these fees and figures now.
2: I, I know what it's like myself to feel a, a pressure of going somewhere. When I went to Everton from Burnley, I was only 19-year-old. But I was the big signing of the summer uh, and because other players had been brought in on swaps and on on smaller deals, I felt that I was going to be the one who had to make the difference and that was just too much for a 19-year-old. So after the first eight or nine games, we weren't doing well and and Howard Kendall took me out of the team for a period of time uh, to allow me to adjust because there was too much on my shoulders. That's a, a personal example of what that feels like when you just cannot find your game uh, and the game seems difficult and, and y- y- your choices and decision making are, are, are difficult to make and uh, difficult to get right. I think Jack's had that. I think he, he's over it. But I think, um, I think the, game is, the game is in danger, <laughs> you got to say, with these kind of monies that are flying around. It, it's just become a merry-go-round of cash. Obviously the players are benefit, but that's just a that's just a sort of ratio to the amount being spent and the amount of money that's in the game. That's not the players' fault. It is the the going rates. Uh but I just um I don't know how to suggest the way that's not been suggested already, all the suggestions that have come to to keep this uh under control have been on the table and have have disappeared as fast as they went onto the table.
1: Just finally then, on today's podcast and on this discussion, Dean. Jack Grealish is another good example to use in this instance where he's good mates with Phil Foden. And I think that's due to them linking up on international duty. Obviously, you don't need to be persuaded to join a club like Man City, really, considering what's in it for you financially and the chance of winning silverware. But how much does player networking play a part in transfers these days? For instance, if you were close with a player who you felt might improve your team, and you kind of knew them or you were mates with them. Would you be messaging them, trying to persuade them to join? Are players always talking to each other like that, do you think?
3: 100%. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you know a player that you have a good relationship with and they can improve your team and they're going to make you a better football team, 100% players talk to each other all the time. Um, I remember when I signed for, for Southampton, um, I played with with Dan Harden, um, at Brighton and Dan Hardin was already at Southampton and... He just gave me a phone call and just said, look, just explain what the football club was like, what the players would like. Because you always talk about the football, but also you want to know, well, I did I always wanted to know what the dressing room was like, what the lads were like, how you were going to settle in, what the, like, the personalities was, was, were like. And you can get that inside knowledge, I think, which is really, really important. Um, so knowing a player at a football club can, can help you as well, especially if you know Jack Grealish probably had you know four or five different options of football clubs so if he knows players at man city that he gets on well with from international duty um i'm sure the managers will be speaking to the players to give to to make that phone call as well to try and persuade him so yeah it definitely happens and it it can definitely help a a player settle in as well um so look, if a player can improve a football club and you know they can come and the club can afford it 100% well
1: it's been really interesting to hear both of your thoughts on managers, transfers, breaks in the season. I uh, really enjoyed it on today's dugout. My thanks to Trevor Stephen and Dean Hammond for their company on today's show. I'll let you guys go now and get your private jet or minibus, wherever you're headed off to <laughs> this weekend. You, you crack on and enjoy yourselves. Um, that's it for us today on the dugout. Don't forget, we are the only daily Premier League show that you can find in podcast form. So if you hit subscribe or follow or whatever the button might be on whichever platform you use to listen to this show, you won't miss an episode again. We'll keep you bang up to date with all the latest transfer news as well as best we can on the show but that's it for today's episode and we'll catch you again next time here on the dugout football's social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk